Well, good morning. My uh, name's Kyle Rainbolt. I serve as the lead pastor here. And so let me say, man, it is beautiful outside. Amen. And the Cardinals play and the Blues play. And so I hope uh, you can give attention just for a little while. And then uh, we'll enjoy the, the rest of our, our day. Uh, man, last week was Easter and it was a great weekend. Uh, but here's the deal. We're back, right? And we're here again this week uh, because Jesus is still alive. And uh, we believe that last week was a great celebration for what Jesus has done for us. But man, we celebrate that every week. So for us, as followers of Jesus, every Sunday is Easter. And so we are celebrating that again uh, today. And so thanks for being here uh, with us. We've started a series called Our Heartbeat. And we looked uh, last week and we just said, look, the heart is vital to you. It's vital to your health. If your heart isn't healthy, you are not healthy. And so we're looking at these core values and saying these are the things we believe deeply at our core. This is our makeup and this is what drives us. And so we're going to look at five of them and then we're going to take a short break and do another little small series and then we'll come back and look at the rest after that. Last week we looked at core value number one and we said that we find our identity in God alone. This is our core value of core values. This is one of the most important things, and you'll hear me talk about this all the time. I almost want you to get tired of me talking about it. That's how important it is. That you know that our our fundamental core, what we believe, is we find our identity in God alone. We said, look, when God created man, he put his thumbprint on humans. There is this uh, created in his image, right? And so because of that, we find our identity there. And anytime you don't, you miss out. Anytime you don't, you feel like you're longing for something more and you're disappointed. Anytime we find our identity anywhere else. And so we talked last week, we talked about finding our identity in our purpose. So in our job or as a spouse or as a parent, maybe you find your purpose in just being single or you find your purpose in being a straight A student, but there's something that all of us are saying, this is what gives me purpose. And then when those things let us down and they crumble, we begin to seek something else to find our identity. And so we want you to hear that God loves you, that God sent his son Jesus to rescue you and to give you your identity. And our purpose and our meaning comes out of that. And so we approach God as a good father. We use this word Abba that means daddy. And so that is the the core number one value that we have. This week, we're going to look at core value number two. And that we're about helping people take their next step in following Jesus. Core value number two is we're about helping people take their next step in following Jesus. We're going to do all we can to help you, to help myself, become closer to God. And we understand that you're all over the place when it comes to that. And therefore, everyone's next step looks different. But we are committed and is a core value of ours to help everyone take that next step. Uh, We're going to be looking in Acts 22. We're going to get there in just a little bit, but we're going to cover some other stuff before we get there. But Acts 22 is going to be our scripture for this morning. Um, But but as I was thinking about this idea of everyone taking a next step and everyone being in the process somewhere different, uh, I ran in what's called the color run yesterday. You guys ever heard of the color run? Uh, Maybe you saw people's posts on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter about the color run. Uh, But I've also run a marathon And so I've done the race where you show up and everyone there has the mindset of running 26 miles. It's crazy, yes. It doesn't make sense. I don't know why people do it. I don't know why I did it. Uh, But but people do this. You you sign up 
and everyone there has the mindset of running 26.2 miles. And everyone there, for the most part, is wanting to run it. They have a goal. They have a, a time they're wanting to accomplish it in. Well, at the color run yesterday, not the case. All right, the color run isn't even timed. And so it's actually not even called a race. It's just called a run. It's called the color run, the happiest 5K. And so it was a little over three miles. And the, really, the only rule is to show up in white. And the other rule is you have to have fun. That's it. It doesn't matter what else happens along the course. The idea is just to experience the run. And so I, I took my three-year-old. So I had my three-year-old Cademan in a stroller running the 5K. We walked a lot. And then he decided he didn't want to do a stroller. So I did half of it with him on my shoulders, which was a lot of fun. And so I, uh, I ran uh, about half of it with him on my shoulders. But every kilometer, you would get to a station that was just color. And they had this dried powder, and you run through, and they just throw color on you. And so you have my three-year-old, myself, my daughter who's eight, and my wife. And we all do our best, and we just kind of run it. And then there's people who don't probably run at all. They just walk the whole time. Then you have some real runners who still want to be a real runner, and so they still time themselves, and they're at the front. And so there were people finishing before we started. So we're still in the gates. <laughs> getting ready to start, and there's people who finished it, and, and some of them avoid the color, and they were just, they wanted to finish, and they, it was about finishing, right? But, but some people were just on the race. Some people were, and then there was a group of people who didn't even run. They just showed up. They cheered people on, and they encouraged them, and they just kind of observed what was going on. And then you end, and you end it, and they give you a packet of color. So I thought it'd be fun if we just experienced this. No, no. Um, but they do, and they, they give you this packet, and the thought is, it's not over, right? Even though you've finished, it's not over. And so they give everyone a packet of color, and they get everyone together, and everyone experiences this throw, and I thought, man, it's, it's a picture of what I'm thinking. And the whole time I ran, I thought, this is a picture of what we're doing, and this is what I mean. We're all at different places. A, a lot of you, I know, and I hope, a lot of you are coming, and you're just kind of watching, you're here, you're just investigating, you're seeing what this is all about. Some of you are just barely starting to walk and you're trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And some of you are sprinting and have been following Jesus for a long time. But here's the deal, it's okay. It's okay that no matter where you're at, that's where you are. And we wanna be a church that supports that. A church that says, we are all taking a next step and we wanna help you take that next step. So this was a great picture for me of a core value that we want to help everyone take a next step. And the thing that makes it hard with this sometimes is those we would consider kind of the spiritual ninjas. Those who seem to have their black belt in spirituality. That they pray better than us. They seem more faithful to, uh, than us. They're more generous. They just seem to get it. And so when we compare ourselves to those people, we feel like we'll never live up to it. And so for a lot of people, we just quit. I can never be like them, so what's the point? What's the point? And so here's the deal, and maybe you've heard me say this before, but comparison is the thief of joy in every area of your life. And so if you're comparing yourself spiritually to the people around you who maybe have been following Jesus for a long time, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. So wherever you're at, it's okay. It's okay. We want to help everyone take their next step. Because again, we know that you all come from different places. 
Some of you are here and have not been in church, have not been in a church building other than maybe a funeral or a wedding in a really long time. And you would consider yourself unchurched. Maybe you grew up Catholic, and so you went every weekend to Mass, and every time the door was open for um, a, a holy day, you went to Mass. And I know in our area there's a lot of people who have this Catholic background, and so maybe that's you. Some of you were born in the church. You, you don't know anything different. You just woke up, and they put you in a nursery, and you've been there ever since, right? And you've been, and some of you, we've talked about this before, some of you feel like you're drugged to church. Just every Sunday, you're drugged to church. And maybe that's your story. Maybe that's who you are. And I know a lot of you, a lot of you would feel maybe like you're de-churched. The church has hurt you. The church has let you down. The church has not been the church, and so you've quit going to church, and you just feel like you're kind of de-churched, and you're like, all right, maybe one more time. Maybe I'll try one more time. And I know that we're all over the place. And students, I know some of you come, and you come without your parents. That was me. It's a 14, 15-year-old. I came alone. And so I know we're all over the place. And so if we're all over the place, then our journeys, are, the process of following Jesus are going to be all over the place. They're all going to look different. And if we break it down even farther, we have little kids. So in upstairs, if you don't know this, but upstairs, we have a bunch of little kids up there right, right now learning about Jesus. Downstairs, we have people who are rocking babies and, and teaching my son, who's three, about the love of God. So we have that, and we have teenagers and young adults, and we have those who are more experienced in life. We have all kinds of people. We have uh, different races. We have people who are single, dating, married, divorced, remarried. We, we have it all. We have people who have no kids or just a couple of kids or a whole lot of kids we have, we have people who are foster parents, and so they have foster kids or stepchildren. We have people who have no education. We have people who have a GED or a high school diploma, or maybe you went to college and you got an associate's, or maybe you have a master's or a doctor. We have all kinds of people. We have people who, who are stay-at-home moms or work part-time or full-time. We have blue-collar. We have all kinds of people. So it would be nonsense to think that we're all going to kind of journey with Jesus the same. It doesn't make sense. And so if we come from all different places, then we understand that God is going to speak to us at all different times and in all different ways. So we're all in this process and we're all in it together. I mean, have you ever seen a child become mobile? Have you ever seen a little kid when they go from not moving so they start to move a little bit and they do a rotation or they flip over and it's a big deal and they start the scoot and then they start a crawl and then they stand and life is over, right? <laughs> and you go from there was Johnny and I don't know where Johnny went because now they can move and it's like that, right? But I remember when my kids started walking and they begin to pull themselves up for the first time and then they do that little thing where they cruise and they stay along the wall or the couches and, and then they move from that to letting go, Right? And they decide, all right, I'm now going to begin to walk and take my first steps. They take a step, and what happens? They fall. Now, if you're a good parent or a loving parent, you don't get on to them, right? You would never say, you, you have failed, right? <laughs> no, you, you, you pick them up, you hold them, and you continue to help them along the process. We are all in this process, right? We, we are, I, I want you to understand that, that we are all in this process, and it happens over time, at all different speeds, in all different ways, this happens. 
And so uh, I think this happens for sure for us spiritually. And I think for many of us, especially if you grew up in the church, you, you may have a, a, a different idea of, of how this happens. And you kind of think there's just this one moment that, that God does something and then that's kind of it. Uh, this guy named James Eagle, he, he came up with a, a scale and he talked about kind of this spiritual scale that everyone is on. And so if you're at a one, you have no awareness of God. No awareness that God exists. And so maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what, that's, that's me. Maybe, maybe you have no awareness or you choose, you've made a choice to believe that there's no God. But you're here today and so maybe the, the step for you on the scale, maybe, you, maybe you've now gone up to contact with the church. Maybe this is where you're at in the scale and maybe you are beginning to investigate who Jesus is. But each one of us are on the scale and it looks different for different people. And then you have maybe 10 halfway on the scale where you would say, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus. Many of you did this by walking an aisle and you kneeled in an altar and you prayed a certain prayer. You, you repeated, maybe you stayed where you were and you repeated the sinner's prayer. Now, we, we, we've talked about this in the past if you've, if you've been here, and I'll say this again. Um, it is about following Jesus and there is this moment when you believe in God. And there is this moment when you confess your need for him. But let me say this. It was never simply meant to be just that. It was never simply meant to be just you walking an aisle and praying a prayer and that be it. Okay, and so, so maybe you, you feel like that's where you're at and you've begun to follow Jesus. And then you see this life change. So things begin to look different because you follow Jesus. And then it, it goes on from there. But for many of us, we, we don't pay attention to the before and we, we don't pay attention to the after. We, we only follow, we only are concerned with this one moment of saying a certain prayer. But, but I believe that we're all over the place on this scale. That each one of us are at a different place and our goal is to help you move forward. And I believe that we can all take this next step. And we want to help you do that. So I want to look how this plays out in, in the, the scriptures. We're going to first look at um, Jesus, uh, his encounter with some people in John 1, 43 through 49. We, we will get to Acts 22 here in a, in a few minutes. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, this is our gift to you. And so if you don't own a Bible, please uh, take this. We'd love for you to have it. Also, if you uh, don't bring a Bible, it'd be great to bring one. If you have a smartphone, do it on there, but... Uh, I'm going to encourage you to write in it, underline it, make notes, um, do whatever you need to do um, for this to sink in. I know for me, if I don't take notes when I'm listening to someone speak, five minutes later I forget what the, the person said. And so I know many of you do that too. So uh, write, write notes and circle things. And so John 1, 43 through 49, it says this. It says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from a town in Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. So in the Old Testament, in the first part of the Bible, is what he's talking about. And about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good Come from there, Nathaniel asks. Come and see, said Philip. Come and see. 
When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, why is this significant? Why does this even, even matter? Why is this an important thing to, uh, to pay attention to? Well, number one, uh, a Jewish boy from the age of 6 to 10 would go to a school and he would begin to memorize the first five books of the Bible. I don't know how much you know of the Bible or how much you've memorized. I'll be honest, I haven't memorized a ton. Um, but they would memorize the first five books. Not just read it, not just know it but memorize it, okay? So they would memorize this, memorize it. From the age six to 10, they would memorize the scripture. And then at the age of 10, they would decide, all right, who's the best of the best? Who, who, who caught on quickly to this? I don't know if you remember grade school and you played dodgeball or basketball and they lined everyone else and you began to pick teams uh, maybe you were the one who hit puberty way early than everyone else, and you were always the first one. Some of us maybe were picked later. Um, but, uh, but maybe you know what that's like to be picked, and only the best of the best being picked. And so they kind of lined everyone else. Uh, they lined everyone up, and they said, all right, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. All right, you guys are going to continue your education. The rest of you, go home. Go home, and you're going to learn your family trade. So if your dad's a carpenter... Go learn how to be a carpenter. If your dad's a fisherman, go learn how to be a fisherman. Thanks for being here for the last four years. Good job memorizing the first five books. This just isn't for you. Go ahead and go home. And so then at the age of 11, they would go on to this next school and they would learn the rest of the Old Testament. So they would memorize it. This still happens for Jewish boys and I'm not sure if it does for girls, but they, they would memorize the Old Testament. They would memorize it all. And then they would do it again. And they would say, all right, who's the best of the best? This actually happens with, with Jesus. Uh, in Luke 2, 46, it says this. After three days, the pa his parents can't find him. It says, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So Jesus even goes and he begins to sit with these teachers and he's beginning to learn from them. And at this age, the other thing they're learning is how to answer with questions. So if we were to ask, what's two plus two, we would easily answer four. four but for the good job. But for them, they would say, what's two plus two? And they would say, what is eight minus four? That was the way this learning happened, this teaching and questions and followed up by more. Question. So we see here that Jesus is doing this. Jesus even experiences this. And then the cuts come again at the age of 13. The best of the best get to go on. Those who are good but not good enough go home and learn the family trade. So then at the age of 13 or 14, the best of the best would go around and they would pick someone to follow. So they would know a certain rabbi and they would say, I, I want to follow that one. I like the way he teaches, I like the way he treats his family, I like the way he does this. And so they would go to this rabbi and they would say, I want to follow you. 
And this rabbi would look at them and they would get to know them and how good were they at school and they would say, come and follow me. Come and follow me. So look, you have Jesus who's walking along and he sees these boys. They probably would have been late teenage years. And what are these boys doing? If you know the scriptures, many of them are working for their fathers. They're fishing. They're in carpentry. Why? Because they're not the best of the best. They weren't good enough to get to go to the next level. They weren't good enough to ever get to the point where they got to go to a rabbi and say, I want to follow you. And then Jesus comes. Jesus comes and he messes it all up. And he's not concerned necessarily with how wise someone is. He's not concerned with maybe someone's past. All he says is, come and follow me. Come and follow me. I know you're not educated. I know you're the son of a fisherman. But come and follow me. Come and follow me. And so you have this first invitation from Jesus that that is totally different than what had ever happened. That the ways of Jesus are not like the ways of man. The ways of Jesus are not like the ways of man. And so Jesus throws out this invitation of come and follow. And then I don't know if you caught it, but if we can put that back up on the the screen. What uh, What does he say to his friend as he goes back? So he has this invitation to, uh, to come and follow, to follow me, and he goes and invites someone to come and what? See. Okay, just, just come and see. Just come and see the one that we've been looking for, right? Because we are all longing and looking for something, and these guys were looking for someone to come and save them. And he goes and says, look, I found him. I found him. Come and see. Uh, This, for many of you, I believe is where you're at. I think this is where you are, and I'm I'm thankful that you're here. Just come and see. Come and hear about who this Jesus is. Not what you think about God, not what maybe someone told you, but but just come and see. Come and see who this Jesus is for yourself. And what's really interesting is the question of how do you know me? How do you? How do you know me? The thing is, Jesus knew him and still gave him the invitation. There was still this invitation, and he knew that this man had just questioned, can anything good really come from that area? Come on. Jesus knows that, and he still says to come, to come. And so for for many of you, the next step is to just keep coming, right? That's okay. You, You don't have to believe right now. There's just this invitation to come and belong and to come and learn and to come and see. And so if that's where you're at, I I hope you feel like this is a place where you can do that. And some of us may feel like we're not even good enough to do that. We don't know the Bible real well. I I didn't grow up memorizing the the books of the Bible. I, I, I didn't. And so for me, I use the table of contents, and we've talked about this a lot. If you go back to the beginning of the, the scripture, if you've noticed, and I, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, but we put a page number in there. It just makes sense. I, I don't know where every book in the Bible might be. It's just a real quick thing. So let's put the page number in there so all of us can look it up. We can all get there because we're at all different places. So just come and see. But here's the deal. If you don't think you know the Bible real well or you don't read it a lot, you're not alone. You're not alone. Unfortunately, it shows that you're way too much not alone. 
So in an interview, uh, a survey of a group of people, 88% of Americans surveyed in this said they own a Bible. They own a Bible. And actually, the statistics show they own an average of almost five Bibles per household. I remember in my house, we had the really big Bible. Like, I don't know if that was ever meant to be read, but it just, it sat there. We, so we owned a Bible. We didn't go to church, but we owned a Bible. So the statistics show that 88% of Americans own a Bible, and several of them own lots of Bibles. Then the statistics go on. And they say that 37% read it once a week or more. So 37% of the people who own a Bible read it at least weekly. Only 37%. 57% say they read it four times or less in a year. So over half of the people who own a Bible, about four times a year, they'll pull it out and they'll read it. Now I'm not saying this out of guilt. I'm just saying this because you're not alone. If you say, you know what, I don't, I don't read my Bible, you're not alone. And, and really the thing is, uh, there's a lot of people who confess to follow Jesus who probably fall into this category that also don't read the Bible. So it's very easily the people that you're sitting with don't read it either. Um, we, we gave you, hopefully you got one of these when you came in. Uh, it's just called the Life Book. If you didn't, there's more at the door as you go out that way. There's more in the, the foyer. Uh, but just a, a, another way of reading the Bible, this is the Gospel of John. And as a youth pastor, I got these, and then I realized this is really helpful to me as an adult. And so I thought I'd give them to you. And what it is, is they've had teenagers go through and read the Bible and write questions, thoughts that they had. And then there's a guy who goes through and he answers some of them. So maybe this is helpful to you. Maybe just the idea of this being the whole Bible is intimidating. It's scary. Where, where do I start? What do I do? Just do this. Take this, and I would challenge you to read it every day. A couple of pages. Read a couple of pages and begin to investigate. That might be a really simple next step for a lot of you. Haven't read the Bible, don't, don't understand the Bible. Simple next step, take this book and read it. And read it. Read it for yourself. It doesn't take someone else to read it for you. Maybe you have a hard time with prayer. Maybe the next step for you is just to begin to pray. In your own language, you, you pray. And some of you have doubts and struggles and fears and concerns and worries and you feel overwhelmed. Come and see. Come and belong. Come and be together with us. Then what? Then what? So if we come and see, at what point do we do something else? All right, so we're going to look at Acts 22. Acts 22, 3 through 16. Acts 22, 3 through 16. And we'll stop along the way and point out some things here. This is Paul. If you uh, were here for our, our, current, our last series called Rooted, we talked a lot about Paul and this letter that he wrote. I read this scripture and just talked about how Paul had a past. God did something and set him on a new future, but we're going to break this down uh, a little more this morning. It says this in verse 3. Paul is being um, persecuted. He's facing trial for what he's doing. And this is Paul's response. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, of Sicilia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. 
Paul is saying, look, I was the most religious person you'd ever be around. And I was really good at it. I'm the most religious person you would have been around. It said this in verse 4. I persecuted the followers of the way. Now, this would have been the church. And so the people who were following Jesus at that point were just called the way. They weren't called the church. They were called the way. And so Paul is persecuting those who are following the way. He says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul. So just real quickly, this is uh, still Paul, but Paul went by two names. Saul would have been his Hebrew name. And so he changes his name to Paul as he starts doing something differently. But, but he at this point is known as Saul. So he says, I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me, just real quickly, two things. This word suddenly. I totally believe that God in the moment suddenly can change a person's heart. I totally believe that suddenly that God can save people's marriages. Totally believe that. It happens here that in a moment that suddenly something happens in Paul's life. He falls to the ground and he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Just real quickly, uh, we want to believe that the, the church is vital. And we believe, even though the church has made a lot of mistakes and doesn't do what they're supposed to do a lot of times, we can't just push the church away. And so we see right here that the church and Jesus are closely connected. Because we just heard that, that he was persecuting the way. So he's persecuting followers of Jesus, but when Jesus when God speaks to him, he says, why are you persecuting me? So those are very closely connected. So I want to encourage you to see the church as vital to what's happening in your life. Why do you persecute me? And this is Paul's answer. Who are you, Lord? Who, who are you, Lord? Let's just rest here for a minute. Uh, this is a vital question for us to ask. All right, who are you, God? Who are you? A writer, C.S. Lewis, he, he was a professor at Oxford. He's a writer, Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, he said this. Listen to what he said uh, about this idea in a book called Mere Christianity. He says this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. He says, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept this claim, his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with a patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so what I think C.S. Lewis is saying is, Jesus never said he just came as a teacher. So then the question we have to ask is, all right, who are you, Lord? And then you answer that question by saying he's either a lunatic, that Jesus came and was simply just crazy, that Jesus came and he was just a complete liar, or he is who he says he was. He's either a lunatic, he's either a liar, or he is who he says he is. And so you may feel like you're at one place or another, but we all answer this question. We, we do, we all answer it. And maybe it, lunatic is harsh and liar is, is harsh, but, but ultimately we're answering that he's someone else other than who he said he was. And so this is where Paul is at. Who, who are you, Lord? It's interesting, even at one point, Jesus goes to his followers and he asks them a question that's along these lines. Mark 8, 27 through 29 this account of Jesus and his disciples, it says, like, it says this. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea and Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, this guy who came before Jesus. Others say Elijah, uh, someone who's in the Old Testament. And others, one of the prophets, one who was just pointing to someone else who would eventually come. And Jesus says this. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? What about you? Everyone else is answering who they think I am. Well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ. You are the one we've been waiting for. You are the Lord. So this is a huge question for all of us to ask ourselves. One, well, who are you? God, and two, answering the question, who do we say that he is? So the next step for you is going to be to process maybe who you say God is. Who is he to you? Who is God to you? Jesus answers, verse 9, he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Again, not just persecuting the way, but is actually persecuting Jesus. He replied, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. So Saul, Paul, is standing there with a group of friends. Everyone experiences the light, but not everyone hears the voice. Everyone sees the light, but not everyone experiences and understands the voice. Again, it is absolute nonsense for us to believe that we all experience it in the same way and at the same time. All these people there together all experience the same thing, but they each experience it differently. And you know what? Some may not understand even what you're experiencing. So your life maybe has looked one way and you feel this change happening and you start making different decisions. Students and some of your friends are like, whoa, whoa, whoa why are you being weird? Why don't you want to go there with me anymore? Why don't you want to do those things anymore? And some people may not understand it. Even as adults, we begin to make decisions when we begin to follow Jesus. And people may not understand it. But, but all of us are in this at different places and at different speeds and at different ways. 
And so then Paul responds, what shall I do? All right, what should I do, Lord? So who are you? He gets an answer and he says, all right, well, what do I do? What do I do? Who are you and what shall I do? A lot of people start here. They come in and they think, all right, what do I, what do I need to do? What do I, if I'm going to follow Jesus, what do I need to do? Before ever answering the question, well, who do you say Jesus is? Because it's not about just doing something first. We, we begin to do once we understand who God is. Some of you have been in church a really long, long time, and you've been doing things a really, really long time. But I don't think some of you have answered the question, who do you say that he is? Is he the Lord of your life? So we first have to acknowledge who he is, and the next step is to submit, what shall I do? So he asks, I, he asks what shall I do? And the voice says to get up. Get up. There's this call to action, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. That's it. That's what he tells him to do. He's going to tell him that that's what he's going to be assigned to do. But he doesn't give him the whole picture. He doesn't tell him more than that. He just gives him the next step. Get up and go to where I'm telling you to go. Verse 11. My companions, who did not understand what was going on, led me by the hand into Damascus because the, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. This is what I love right here in this, this section is Paul couldn't do it on his own. Couldn't do it by himself. He knows where he's got to go, but he can't get there. So these people who don't even know what's going on are the ones who take him to, to Ananias. Then Ananias, who doesn't even necessarily know what's happened, all they know is that he can't see, helps him find his sight again. We need help. We need help. That is the role of the church, is to help one another as we all continue to take our next step in following Jesus. You can't do it alone. Your faith is yours alone, but it's not meant to do alone. Listen, your faith is yours alone. You decide what you believe, but look, it's not meant to do alone. It's meant to be done together. So again, as you start, it's read this. Start there and read this. We have small groups that happen on Sunday mornings. There's two classes that take place at 9.30. There's a ladies' Bible study on Monday evenings. We have stuff for children. We have small groups for students. We, we understand that we've got to get into community, and we're in the talks of beginning to add more small groups. This is vital. As we begin to take next steps, we have to do this together. And some of you are stuck, and you need to take these next steps. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's you as a parent. Maybe it's your finances. What, what is the next step to you? What would Jesus say to you? This is what you need. Get up and do this. Verse 16 says this. And now, what are you waiting for? So he tells Paul what's going to happen. And then he says this. And now what are you waiting for? What, what are we waiting for? There's many of us that know what we need to do next. And we don't. We're waiting. 
I don't know if you're like me, I hate to wait. Absolutely hate to wait. Uh, I kind of have a problem with it. I don't know if when you drive and you come up on a red light and you play the game, if you count the number of cars in each lane, uh, I even see what kind of cars they are. Is this car faster than this car? Who's driving the cars? If I can kind of look and see who, who did I pass? And so I, I play the game because I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. And then at the grocery store, hopefully I'm not the only crazy person, but at the grocery store, you begin to walk, right? And you look how many people are on each line. And then if you're like me, I count the number of items in people's baskets, <laughs> right? And then I look to see who's checking out, right? Is this person going to take forever? Are they going to talk a while? Is the person who's about to, to check out, are they like my wife who's not here so I can say this, who is a crazy coupon person and is going to have 50 coupons. And so maybe there's only one person, but how long is it going to take? I don't like to wait. I don't like to wait. But you know what? I wait on the important stuff. I wait on the important stuff. Have an issue going on and you think you don't feel well and yeah, I'll put that off. I'll, I'll, I'll wait. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that. And so we, we wait on some important things. I need, to call, I need to call my mom. I haven't talked to my mom in weeks or months. I'll, I'll wait. I'll, I'll do it later. And, we wait. and then, ultimately, I think we often wait when it comes to spiritual matters. We wait. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. The time is now. The time is now for all of us. Whatever the next step is for you, the time is now. Verse 16, it says, and now what are you waiting for? It says, get up, another call to action, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. Now, I just really quickly want to look at this idea of being baptized. I think this is the next step for many of you. I think this is the next step for many of you, and I think there's three reasons why we often don't take this next step and we wait. Number one is I think we misunderstand the importance. I think we misunderstand the importance. So, you know, Jesus is baptized. Actually, it says he leaves Galilee and he's baptized in the Jordan River, 60 miles away. Jesus makes a journey 60 miles to be baptized. I would say that's probably pretty important. He then tells his people who are following him to continue to go and create more followers and baptize them. And so baptism is important. And if you don't know what baptism is, it's this moment of, of being, uh, there's different ways uh, of doing it, but it's this idea of being submersed in water or sprinkled with water. And Jesus does, and it's this picture of dying to your life, of dying to your ways, going into this watery grave and coming up fresh and clean with this new life. So Jesus does this. It's important. Uh, maybe we've misunderstood the meaning. We, we say, yeah, yeah, my relationship is private. I'll just continue to do it on my own, and you don't want to go public. This was the moment Jesus goes public, is with his baptism. He goes public with his ministry by being baptized. Or maybe you have been baptized. Maybe you've been baptized. Being in a Catholic area, I know many people who are baptized as a baby. I'm not going to take the importance away from that. I think that was super, super important. And I think it was really, really important for your parents. I do. I think that was vital to their faith and what they were doing. I'm not going to downplay that. But I do believe that when it talks about baptism, it's this choice that you have made to follow 
Jesus and you're baptized. It's kind of like thinking, I'm going to get married one day. I'll go ahead and wear a wedding ring. Right? So the, the ring is a symbol of being married. Baptism is a symbol of what has happened in your life. But if you did that before you ever made that decision, then you have never answered the question, who are you, Lord? And so for some of you, maybe you're going to answer that question and say, this is who I believe God is and I want to be baptized. And then ultimately, I think the third reason is this fear. I think people are afraid to do it. They're afraid of water. They're afraid of the attention. Uh, I had never been baptized. I, I started going to church as a, in a youth group. No one ever told me to be baptized. I go off to a Christian college, never baptized, and they started baptizing people in this large church, and you were like elevated. I was like, oh, you're like way up high. And then they made everyone talk. And if you've heard my story, I've had this fear of being in front of people and speaking. So I was like, I'm, I'll never be baptized if I have to speak in front of anyone, right? And so I just never was. I graduate college and I become a pastor, never been baptized, never done it. Fear had kept me from being baptized and, and participating in a really meaningful thing in my life. And so as, a, as a, a year into being a youth pastor, I was baptized. So fear maybe has been driving you away. The next step for many of you is to be baptized. It is. It's to be baptized. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you don't understand it. At some point in the last few months or years, you've made a decision to follow Jesus. You believe in his forgiveness. You've answered the question, who are you, Lord, or who do you say that he is, and you need to be baptized. Talk to me afterwards. May 18th, we will be baptizing people, but I know for sure that this is a next step for many of you, and this is a time when we get to celebrate what God has done together. What has happened for you alone is not meant to be done alone. It's meant to be celebrated and shared together. Then what? Well, Paul then goes on to do all kinds of things. All kinds of things. We are talking about a man who lived 2,000 years ago, who had significant, significant moments in, in what we believe today. And, and as a Christian, what I believe has come from Paul's message that he shared with other people. And so Paul doesn't stop. Paul doesn't get up, be baptized, and, and there's... There's more. There's more. And so for some of you, you're at the more. This is where we're going to be the next three weeks. The next three weeks. So next week, we're going to cover this, this idea um, that loved people love people. You've heard me say that. Loved people love people. So if you're following Jesus and you've experienced God's love, then we love people. Uh, the next week, we'll look at this idea that we're not meant to be spiritual consumers, but spiritual contributors. So your next step for many of you is to quit consuming and start contributing what's happening here at Trinity. So we're not called to be spiritual consumers, but spiritual contributors. And then week five, we're going to talk about this idea that we will lead the way with radical generosity. We will lead the way with radical generosity. These will be next steps for many of you. Today's next step for some of you is to come and see, keep coming. Some of you is to answer the question, who are you, Lord? Who do you say that he is? Some, you guys need to come talk to me and figure out what it would, would look like for you to be baptized. And then some of you, it's going to be these next three weeks. Let's pray. God, thanks for this morning and the call you've put on our life, how you see us, you know us, you give us our identity, and you constantly are pursuing us. I pray for my friends here today who would say they're a one or a two and they're not real sure what they believe. Would you just encourage them to keep coming, keep coming and seeing
and we can figure this out together. For many of us, we've made a decision and we're just stuck. We're stuck. What are we waiting for? Would you help us to become unstuck and do what we know you've called us to do? Help us to all come back the next couple weeks as we continue to see what you're doing here at Trinity. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.